Welcome to the Gospel 101 podcast. This is Pastor Tom Logry, and you're listening to week six of our course together, going through true story, a Christianity worth believing in by James Chung. And we're looking at the section of his book that is entitled Sent Together to Heal. Uh, last week, we looked at his section entitled Restored for Better. And at the end of that section, uh, we had set before us an image of what God's redemptive purposes have been from the beginning for his creation. And that God designed all of his creation to be good, his, his human creation to be good. We through the three exercises of our will, decided to rebel against him. And so we cast ourselves and all of creation uh, into chaos and to evil and to brokenness as we are separated from him. But thankfully, God loved us enough that he sent us his son so that we might be restored to that original good design that God had intended for us from the very beginning. And he accomplished this. He accomplishes this through Jesus Christ. So getting into the narrative of true story, you'll recall that Caleb has set forth this hope for Anna, saying, listen, all of the problems that you're seeing in this world, God's going to address them. He's going to bring true salvation, true true healing, true justice. And Anna thinks that's great, but she still is wondering, what about now? In fact, in the first couple pages to this week's reading, you would have read Caleb getting back to what God has done and is going to do. He says, on page, this is on page 151, he says, in this big story, there's a happy ending. One day, Jesus' resistance movement of love and justice will replace all other competing nations and governments and systems. All people will acknowledge Jesus' kingdom as the real, true one. This is heaven at its fullest, at the end of all time. His arms open wide to suggest the scope of what he was saying. But what about now? asked Anna, an edge in her voice. This was the third time she'd asked. (laughs) What about now? I tend to think that this is the question that is on the tips of many people's tongues today when they hear us talking about the gospel. And we discussed this in our first meeting together, discussing, well, what is the gospel? What does it mean to say that this is good news? Because while there is a certain goodness to a message that promises future healing, future redemption, future justice. 
it can take on an aspect of being otherworldly. And so it can begin to fall flat. And I think in our society today, it has begun to fall flat when we limit the scope of the gospel message, the scope of good news to a far off day. So what Caleb does in responding to Anna is he says, currently we're living in between the times. And it's a little bit of a weird concept, but even the idea of Christ's work of redemption is a little bit of a surprise, even though in hindsight you can see how the scriptures were revealing that Christ would come, that he would offer himself as a, as a sacrifice uh, to bring atonement, to uh, reconcile us to God. Because in Jesus Christ, it's almost as though the, the end has come in the middle, and yet there is still an ending that we are looking forward to when his work of redemption will be fully complete, fully completed and fully revealed. And, and so as far as things stand today, it's like we're standing between the times and there is a very real sense in which the victory is assured. And Caleb uses the example of World War II in which the commanders felt confident and almost maybe perhaps certain in their victory after their victory on D-Day, even though the V-Day, Victory Day, the uh, capture of Berlin, had not yet occurred. Recognizing this, we're still left with a bit of a question asking, okay, so we, we are living in between the times, but what are we supposed to be doing? Should we just be sitting around, waiting around until Christ returns? Or have we been called to do something in the meantime? There's a quote that I really love from our Advent Christian heritage, and it comes from A.C. Johnson, and I, I love it so much that I actually pinned it at the top of the blog I run, Advent Christian Voices. And so this is back in the early 20th century. A.C. Johnson, he writes, What is true waiting for Christ? Does it rightly suggest the cessation or restraint of activity in Christian service? That we should make no plans for future labor in the field? Is it an idle looking, watching, waiting? Far from this. When the church has most fervently looked for the Lord's return, she has been most diligent in the work of the vineyard. The scripture nowhere sanctions an idle watching or waiting for his coming. The waiting rather means that we have a great hope whose fruition will not come to pass in this age, a splendid ideal that can be realized only after and by means of Christ's second advent. Therefore, we set our hearts and hopes on that advent as the goal of promise, of joy, and light. It means that we do not place our hope on what man can do for mankind or on what the church, civilization, or social service can do for the world, 
but only upon what Christ can and will do for the race by and following his second coming. Success to every worthy effort for world betterment, but above and beyond all, this we wait for the day of Christ, the day of redemption, of resurrection, and restoration. I really appreciate the tension in which A.C. Johnson works here. And I'm interjecting it here in in our reading just so that um, we don't come under a false impression. So you'll in Caleb's conversations with Shalandra Jones, you'll see how Shalandra basically directs Caleb to consider that in between the times we are called to usher in heaven now as we are joined together in Christian community in the church and that this is the intersection point between heaven and earth and that is very true and it's something that that's important to recognize that the greatest testament to our faith is the body of christ and that that's where people truly come to meet christ it's in his body by meeting his people and that we've been called to actually go forth into the world that we've been commissioned. And this actually kind of gets into uh, the question, how do we become Christians? And Shalandra directs Caleb saying, hey, you have to look at Jesus' original call to the disciples. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So even as we are called to follow Jesus, we're following him in order to be sent out into the world. And This entails not only calling people to follow Christ, that's actually, that is the central uh, point of the mission, but in in doing so, we bring the signs of the kingdom with us so that we bring the healing. We seek to be those who manifest the justice of the kingdom of God wherever we go. We seek to be salt and light, and you should have picked up on some of those uh, those mandates that we've been given from the scripture passages that I signed. But even in saying all of that, it's still important to recognize that it's not us who bring the kingdom of God into being. It doesn't matter how great the church might be, we're not going to drag heaven down to earth. Heaven comes to earth only when Christ returns and when in God's good timing, in the fullness of time, when Christ returns, that's when everything will be fully restored, will be fully redeemed. And that's something that's important to remember because in our pride we can try to make ourselves out to be the saviors of the world when in fact we are only the standard bearers of the savior of the world who is to come, Jesus Christ, who is to return. He's come once, but he's returning to make all things new and to bring everything to completion. And this conviction 
that it's in Christ alone that healing can be found is an important part of this gospel presentation. I'm hoping that as you've been going along in our final class together, we're going to review the illustrations that uh, James Chung has put before us. But hopefully the pictures kind of become clear where when you're working through the circles, you have designed for good, damaged by evil, restored for better, sent together to heal. Now, as is pointed out in the book, lots of people can buy, on, buy in on different elements of those circles. A lot of people can say, hey, I think everything's great in this world. Or there's people who can say, I just think everything's really messed up and I don't know what to do. Uh, or there's those who say, yes, Jesus is the way, but I don't think we need to be doing anything at all. We should just be waiting around idly uh, and kind of according to the way that A.C. Johnson denounces. Um, But there's also those who believe, yes, we should go out and we should try to do good in this world and we should try to bring healing. But they limit themselves to the mission without having turning to the only one who can make that mission effective, the person of Jesus Christ. I think we encounter this quite a bit in our society today. There's lots of people who express a desire to see the world become better, but they don't want to turn to Christ in order to actually help bring that about. And yet, it's so very necessary for us to turn to Christ because the problems in this world aren't simply out there. They're in here. That is, they are in us. The problems in this world, you can see them when you look at yourself in the mirror. We need the healing, we need the redemption that Christ brings to us personally. We need to experience that personally first before we can ever go out to the world. Because as Caleb tries to point out to Anna as he's going along, if we if our hearts aren't set right, even as we're trying to do good, we're going to be causing harm. And there's been lots of people throughout human history who, in the name of some good cause has actually done quite a bit of harm in trying to justify every means to accomplish that quote-unquote good cause. But this is a hard reality for us to admit that there's something wrong with us. And this really gets into uh, the personal drama that we see here in which as soon as Caleb says, hey, you know, ultimately forgiveness is is needed if we're going to get about this mission of going out to heal, to heal others in the world, to bring healing to the world, uh, that sets Anna right off because of the hurt that she's experienced from her father, uh, the hurt that uh, he inflicted upon her family. And 
there's something that's intrinsically difficult about that because we want to see justice done. We don't want to see people get away with doing wrong. But I think on top of that, beyond that, forgiveness is made difficult because a lot of times we don't have an honest, a true view of ourselves and just how messed up we ourselves are and how much in need of grace we are. So there's, it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of our unwillingness to look at ourselves honestly in terms of our own wrongdoing, but it is also the fact that we are standing in, in between the times. And so there aren't always nice and tidy solutions. And yet Christ calls us to forgive. How is it that the Christian can forgive? Why is it that the Christian can forgive? And in fact, why is it necessary that we forgive? Simply, it's because God has forgiven us a greater debt than that which anyone would ever owe to us. This is the whole point of that parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 18, where there's this man who owes this huge debt that he can't pay back to the king, and he's going to be sent off to prison. In fact, him and all his family. But then he begs the king, please have mercy. And then he has mercy on this man who owed him all this debt. But then this man goes and proceeds to uh, jail this other man who owed him very, very little comparatively. When the king learns about this, he ends up jailing the man who he originally forgiven. And Jesus says at the end of this parable, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And the reason is, is that if you think the wrongs done to you are greater than the wrongs that you've committed against God, and the truth is, is that you think you're bigger and more important than God. And that's just not so. The beauty of the gospel is that God in offering his son to us, giving his son to us, he's given us a way so that we can come to peace with God, but also with our brothers and sisters. Because no one can complain about not receiving what they're due when they've been offered the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus goes beyond righting the wrongs that I've experienced. He actually gives me salvation. He gives me grace and healing and restoration that... I don't deserve at all. We've received a surplus of mercy and of grace. And so this frees us to 
be agents of grace and mercy and forgiveness in healing. We can go out as living, breathing manifestations of the gospel. This is the work of Christ manifesting itself through his body in the world. And so whatever healing is brought about, it's not due to anything great about us. It's because of Jesus. It's because of him who is within us. And this fulfills ultimately the promise that was given to Abraham that you would have read in Genesis 12, where it was said that by God to Abraham, he promised him that you're going to be a blessing to the nations. And that's exactly what we've seen be brought about through Jesus, because you originally start with Abraham and then the nation of Israel, but then in Jesus, you see God's blessings go global, his redemption go global. And that wasn't a change of plan, that was God's intention all along. And those blessings can only be realized and brought about in and through Jesus. So we've reached the end of the narrative of true story. I'm not going to give away the ending in case for some reason you're listening to this before you had finished reading it. But I'll say this. I think that the conclusion paints kind of a realistic picture of how sharing the gospel with someone, leading them into the truth, is often, it can be a long journey. But you'll notice at the end, and I'll try not to give away too much, but just that part of Anna's encounter with the gospel is filled out by her being in the community of the church, by being with Caleb's friends, by being with his pastor. And I just want to highlight that that is so important for us when we think about how can we reach others in our community with the gospel. Often it will start with a friendship. It will start with conversations and talking about uh, the message of the gospel, the narrative of the gospel that we've just gone over. But ultimately, all that stuff only comes home when we can see it with some flesh and bones on it. I mean, God can do some exceptional things, but I think the gospel is most powerfully communicated and manifested when we can see it at work in the church. And so going back to that call to be fishers of men, I think it's good for us to think of it like this, that as we cast out a net, we do it so that we may draw the fish in and we draw them all in together. And it's not just simply, you know, you're casting a line and reeling them in, but you almost think about the the net as being like the church of how we're all knitted together as the body of Christ. And we want to bring people into our community so that they can be able to get a taste of the kingdom of God. We are not 
we are not the kingdom of God perfected. We know there's all kinds of things that are messed up in the church. But the kingdom of God is bubbling up through and in us. And we want to show people that. So in our last class, when we get together in person, we're going to be reading the behind-the-scenes section, which gets down into into um, some of the brass tacks of working through uh, this kind of storytelling way of explaining the gospel. And so as you're reading through that, this is pages 189 to 222, what I want you to do is to collect five to eight verse passages and create your own scripture verse narrative so that as you're telling this story, you know, perhaps even using the illustrations that James Chung provides, you'll be able to go to certain verse passages to say, to demonstrate how what you're saying matches up with what the scriptures say. And then ultimately why I want you to answer is a question that I asked to you in the beginning, which is, what is the gospel message? And I think it should be really interesting to see how your answer compares now to when you first answered that question. Well, that's all I have for now. So until I see you again, this is Pastor Tom Logry over and out.